Welcome to episode 140 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, I'm taking your questions. We talk about everything from how low should you squat to can you lose weight with the changes that you have in perimenopause to creatine. What is it and should you be taking it? Let's go. Hello, hello. I am taking your questions today. Excited to do that. Let's get right into it. First question. This is GML underscore 222. How low do I need to go for squats to be effective? Well, let's first look at what do you mean by the word effective? If you're a power lifter, what you mean is you're going to have to get your hip crease below your knees or otherwise you're going to miss your lift. That's what you have to do to get three white lights in powerlifting. Got to get deep enough there. If you're training Olympic, the Olympic lifts, you're going to need to get your butt all the way down to the ground because that's how you do the Olympic lifts. If you're just looking to have, um, you know, grow your glutes, tone your thighs, you know, those kinds of things, you do not have to get your butt all the way down to the ground. Getting too parallel or a little bit below is a great place to go. That is going to be effective in building your glutes and strengthening, toning, defining your quads. That said, if you cannot access that range of motion yet uh, because you have pain, um, for whatever reason it's not accessible to you yet, you can squat higher and keep working to get down there. If for whatever reason, let's say you have knee pain when you squat to parallel, could you squat a little bit higher and still get some benefit? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you have um, the ability to pain-free squat to at least parallel, that is what I would have you do. But something is better than nothing. And if the reason you can't get low enough is because of problems with your ankle mobility, that is something you can work with alongside of continuing to squat to whatever depth you currently have access to. If ankle mobility is a limiting factor for you, um, yes, you can elevate your heels. This is something that we're seeing all over the internet right now. It's a super popular um, thing to talk about these days. I absolutely do it with my Fitter After 40 and Aging Stronger Society members. We do elevate their heels if they're having trouble getting depth, if they're having trouble keeping their heels down when they get to depth we do elevate their heels. But, or maybe I should say, and at the same time, we work on improving their ankle mobility. Okay. I don't want to just elevate their heels to help them access more depth. I want to help them with that limiting factor of their ankle mobility. So we train ankle mobility. Um, I usually suggest they do a couple of ankle mobility drills daily to work on that. And certainly right before they're going to do their squatting. Okay. Thanks for that question. The next question, this is from KRT Griffith, <clears throat> excuse me. When you hit your 40s, did you have to make your workouts more intense? Now, it's important to know that for me, when I hit my 40s was the first time I was ever training. <laughs> so for me personally, yes, I made it more intense because I finally got to it. Before then, I was doing things like, oh, you like Jillian Michael workouts, um, Richard Simmons <laughs> workouts, uh, videos that had me using dumbbells in my hands, but weren't really strength training in that I was um, getting stronger over time in that way. So yes, for me, I got more intense. Should you, if you've been strength training, 
you're going to need to have intensity in your workouts no matter what age or stage of life. To have an effective workout, you need to be pushing the intensity. Now, what do you think of when I say intensity? If what goes in your mind is I'm sweaty, I'm hot, I'm tired, I feel nauseous, like I feel like somebody has kicked my butt, that is not what I'm talking about. Though some of those things happen when you're strength training. What I'm talking about when I say intense is pushing heavy weight. And heavy is going to be relative to you. You will know you are pushing your weight heavy enough if with the given rep range for the exercise you're doing, you get to the end of your rep range and you couldn't do one or two, maybe three more reps. If you could do four more reps, five more reps, six more reps, that is not intense enough. We need to push that intensity so you're working closer to failure, ideally within one to two reps of failure. Yes, you could go three. I find that when I tell people that they're just not pushing intensely enough because it's hard to judge how far away from failure am I. Those last reps should be hard. So let's say that you're supposed to do 10 reps of something. By the time you're getting to reps 9 and 10, that weight should feel heavy enough that your reps are slowing down a bit, that you're really having to work and you're still maintaining good form and you could for sure do one more rep, maybe two more reps, okay? If you could do more than that, you're doing four, five, or six, it is not intense enough. And this is important no matter what age you're in, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 20s, whenever you're strength training, you need to use that level of intensity. I will say sometimes women in their, when they hit their 40s, their 50s and beyond, they shy away from intensity. You know, we're kind of sold this bill of goods that we need to be extra careful. Well, look, being careful because we're aging involves strength training appropriately so that we're healthy enough, so that if we fall, we're not, um, we are, we're less likely to break a bone. And so from my perspective, being safe includes heavy strength training and we do it in a sensible way. We use sensible programming. We take enough rest days. We're not overtraining, but that when we are training, we're working with intensity. Thank you for that question. Okay, next question. This is from Tina Kaplan. Tina is actually a former client of mine. She just posted on Instagram this week. She is down 80 pounds, 80 pounds. Tina is an incredible power lifter, really strong lady, down 80 pounds. And Tina's question is how to handle loose skin non-surgically. Now, this is a question that so many people have, and even people who are just starting out when they know they have a lot of weight to lose. You know, they want to lose 60, 70, 80, 100 plus pounds. They do worry about skin and loose skin. I've actually had people tell me that they hesitate to lose weight for that reason. When it comes down to it, there is something, there are there is some you can do with building muscle. That helps somewhat. If you have 100 pounds that you've lost, 80 pounds that you've lost, and you have loose skin, there's a great possibility that the only way to get rid of all of it is going to be through surgical means. This is not my area of expertise. Um, I am not uh, I'm not somebody who has a ton of extra loose skin. I do have some. I, I lost enough weight that I do have some loose skin. It is not prohibitive for me. Um, I know for some people it is. Realistically speaking, the only way to get rid of a lot of it is through surgical means. The question is, do you want to do that? And 
Is it something that you're ready to say, all right, I'm going to work on accepting that this is how my body is and that this is how I look after I've put in so much work. I have worked really hard. This is just a part of what has happened. And for those of you who are just starting out and you worry about that loose skin, I would say to consider all aspects and really weigh the pros and cons. What will you be able to do if you lose that 100 pounds that you struggle to do now? How will you feel um, differently if you lose that weight versus not? And really pay attention to those trade-offs. But in the end, excess skin from losing a considerable amount of weight is not going to, and please don't buy into stuff people are trying to sell you. I don't even know what they're trying to sell you these days about it. Any kind of like you know, topical treatment or craziness like that. Um, but yes, building some muscle can help. Whether it helps enough for you is um, something you'll need to judge for yourself. Thanks, Tina. And way to go. 80 pounds down. Friggin' incredible. That just takes so much perseverance. And you've been at this for a good long time. Congratulations for all your hard work. All right, next question. This is from RRR Lauren. RRR Lauren's question is, reassure me that it's okay to give up on my cut before reaching my goal. Biofeedback is down. Okay, Lauren, you already know the answer to this. You already know the answer. Absolutely, it's okay. And I wouldn't even use the words give up. You're not giving up. You are stopping appropriately. If your biofeedback, so your energy, your cravings, your hunger, so your hunger is up, your energy is down, your cravings are up, you're feeling tired, you know, you're not sleeping well, um, your libido is impacted. If these things, all these biofeedback markers are coming back trying to yell at you, hey, stop, stop, and you keep on listening, that's not appropriate. So you are appropriately ending your cut. You are not giving up. And it's also important to remember that most people don't do one single phase of a cut and get to the end result that they want. They do multiple phases of being in a cut and being at maintenance, sometimes even heading into a bulk and being at maintenance and then going back into their cut. Definitely going back through stages of um, being in a cut and being at maintenance. So this is really normal that you don't do it all in one big shot. So there's your reassurance and you already know it. You know it. All right, next question. This one is from Calitexi. Is it okay to yo-yo back and forth between lower and heavier weights? Interesting phrasing you put there because it sounds kind of negative. Like when we think of yo-yo and we think of like yo-yo dieting, like I'm on my plan, I'm off my plan, I'm on my plan, I'm off my plan. Here, there's nothing negative between using lower weights and lighter weights and using heavier weights. It's very, um, it's absolutely acceptable. And in fact, I I program in such a way that we're using both lighter weights and heavier weights in the same program. So the first move of the day is going to be a move that's going to use heavier weights, lower reps. These are usually bigger moves like squats, deadlifts, bench press, hip thrust, those kinds of things. And so we're doing heavier weight, lower reps. Then we move into our assistance exercises and we are using moderate weight, moderate reps. So this is like that eight to 10 rep range. Okay. And then towards the end of the workout, we're using 
12 to 15, sometimes up to 20, sometimes I'll even go up to 20 reps. And these are usually more things that are smaller muscle groups, um, single joint exercises. So we're talking things like triceps and biceps, um, doing you know things like uh, rear delt raises or lateral raises. And so we're doing more of that lighter weight, um, higher rep scheme. And that's all in one workout. So there's not, I wouldn't use the word yo-yoing. Absolutely using a combination of lighter weight, higher rep, lower, I'm going to say, yeah, I'll confuse my brain, lower rep, higher weight is absolutely a good way to go. The, The really important thing to remember is what I already talked about when I spoke earlier to someone else's question about intensity, whether you're using lower rep, higher weight, or higher, gosh, it's so hard to say this, <laughs> to make sure you get it right, higher rep, no, no, yes, higher rep, lower weight, whichever of those two you're using, you still need to bring proper intensity. So just because you're using lighter weight does not mean the intensity is down. So if I'm doing, um, if I'm doing tricep overhead presses for 15 reps, I need to choose a weight that's going to appropriately get me to the end of that rep range. I'm not just going to stop when I get to, what did I say, 15 reps. I need to choose a heavy enough weight. Obviously, doing a tricep overhead press, I'm going to be using something a lot lighter than if I'm doing um, uh, a goblet squat. So it's going to be a lighter weight, but it's still going to be appropriately heavy, appropriately intense enough for the exercise that I am doing. That's really key. All right, next question. This is from Mama underscore Hodges. Creatine, will it help grow muscle and protect my brain as I age? Creatine is one of the most widely researched supplements out there. It is has been found to be incredibly safe and has so many benefits that there's really no downside to using it. There's one thing that people sometimes think is a downside, which is that there can be some water retention, but it's not water retention is in, in that you look bloaty. Like you're not going to look different, but what you might notice is an increase on the scale. It is not fat. It is literally your muscles holding on to more water. So it's not really a downside, but sometimes people think of it that way because they're really attached to a number on the scale. So when you choose to start creatine, note that the scale will likely go up. And I'm not talking a huge amount, but a couple of pounds and just know that it is not fat and be okay with that. That's literally the only downside. And I would say it's not even a downside. It's just something to be aware of. Okay. So creatine, what is it? How should you use it? What does it do for you? Creatine is a naturally occurring substance in our bodies and in our food. When we you know, are making that in our body and we're ingesting food, we actually are not getting as much as we could potentially store. We can top our stores of creatine out by supplementing. Okay, so when we take our supplement, we're filling those stores all the way up. This enables us when we have this creatine on extra creatine on board to increase our power output, which helps us to build more muscle. So it is really useful for um, improving how much muscle you can build. It is useful for improving your performance because you're going to be able to use more power. Does it have other benefits? In recent years, 
there has been some research that does support the idea that there can be improved cognitive function. So that's really exciting for those of us who are aging. You know, that's really encouraging. There was a study last year in 2021 that found, <clears throat> excuse me, that people over age 60 who consumed more than a gram of creatine per day scored 5 to 10% higher on a test assessing cognitive function than people over 60 who consumed less than one gram of creatine per day. So that's exciting. Um, that bit of information I just shared with you is from the website examine.com. I love that website. You can research all kinds of supplements there and find associated research about them. So there does look like there is some cognitive benefit and there's certainly benefit as far as being able to build muscle and increase your performance. So when you're looking at creatine, there's all different kinds of, of sales tactics tactics that people can use to try and sell this to you. Uh, what you're looking for is creatine monohydrate. That is the cheapest and it is the most effective. So get a creatine monohydrate. When you decide to start taking it, you could do what they call a loading phase, which is when you take more at the beginning um, and then move on to like a standardized dose of five grams per day, but you don't even have to do the loading phase. If you want to, to kind of saturate your stores faster, you could take 0.3 grams per kilogram of your body weight for five to seven days and then move to five grams per day. Or you could just start with that five grams per day. It's just going to take longer for your stores to be saturated. Either way is a great way to go. I do use creatine monohydrate. Um, absolutely, I recommend it. All right, next question. WW underscore points for me. Do hormones and perimenopause hinder weight loss? This is such a great question. And the answer I'm going to give you is yes and no. So the no part is there is no direct switch. It's not like you are in perimenopause. You have, um, you have begun to lose estrogen. Therefore, you cannot lose weight. It is not a direct correlation like that. It is not slowing your metabolism. Okay, what often happens, and this is the yes part of the answer, is that you now have a whole bunch of symptoms of hurdles that you are dealing with that can impede your ability to lose weight. Things like you're low on sleep, you're low on energy, um, you're struggling with increased anxiety and increased depression, and you're having joint pain, and you're having periods where you're having excessive bleeding. You're generally not feeling well. You have you know, an increase in your seasonal allergies, the, the long list of symptoms that come along in perimenopause and during the menopause transition can really impact the quality of life and the effort that you have, both mental effort and physical effort, to give to losing weight. So in that way, yes, it can affect your ability to lose weight. But, and here's, a, this is a big but, if you get those symptoms under control and you manage those hurdles, then you successfully are able to lose weight. And I say this because I did this, a huge part of my physical transition was made, transformation was made during my menopause transition, a huge part of it. The clients that I work with are almost all in the perimenopause transition. They're in their mid to late 40s. They're in their early 50s. They are really highly symptomatic. You know, they are struggling with insomnia. They're struggling um, with not being able to sleep because of 
hot flashes. They're struggling with all those things that I just shared. And to top it off, it's just the stage of life where they're also having to be really at the peak of their career. So they've got a lot of um, stress in their life. They're also dealing with teenagers and they've got aging parents. And so there's just a lot on their plate. When we manage all of these varying life situations and all of these physical symptoms, absolutely, these women still lose weight and a lot of it. So please be encouraged. You absolutely can lose weight in perimenopause and menopause without question. Great question there. And then another question from WW points for me. Could you still lose weight if you eat the occasional donut, cookie, pizza, or French fry? Well, here's a question back for you, for you to consider. If I said no, you cannot lose weight if you eat an occasional donut, cookie, pizza, or French fry, would that be worth it to you? Would you say, okay, okay, now the lawn guy's coming by. That's annoying. (laughs) Would you say to me, you know what, Kim? I never could eat another donut, pizza, French fry, or cookie for the rest of my life. It is still worth it to me to lose weight. For me, if somebody told me that my quality of life was going to decrease in that way, that I couldn't eat the foods, that I couldn't include these foods that I enjoy because I want to lose weight, I don't know that it would be worth it to me. So that's one thing to consider. And another thing to consider is uh, it's not even true. When people tell you things like, You can't lose weight if you eat junk food. You can't lose weight if you eat uh, sweets and treats. It's just not even true. It's not true. So how do you do it? How do you lose weight and include pizza, french fries, donuts, and cookies? You set up your calories so that you are still in a deficit while eating those foods. What this means is you're going to likely reduce the amount of these things that you are eating. Would you be able to eat all of these things in one day and remain in a deficit? Likely not. Or if you did, you would be really hungry. So let's say you had like donuts for breakfast and went to McDonald's and got French fries at lunchtime and you had a cookie um, with your kids after they got done school and then you guys went out for pizza. Would you be able to remain in a calorie deficit that day? Wow, that would be hard. That would be really challenging. If you did that, it would be because you ate literally a donut, like a French fry, like a cookie and a slice of pizza. That might top out your calories for the day. If you did that, one that would be incredibly unhealthy, you're not getting the nutrients you need, you're not getting um, the protein that you need. It's just not a healthy way to to diet, to live, and you're going to be really hungry. That's just not a lot of food, though it could be a lot of calories. It's not enough food. But... Could you pick one of those things and put it in your day? Absolutely you could. Will I promise you that you can do that every single day? I won't. Because honestly, what you're likely to find as you really dig into what style of eating works for you is that in order to fit the pizza in, you have to make enough adjustments for the rest of the day that sometimes it's just not worth it. Like for me to fit pizza in when I'm in a deficit, I typically do things like, all right, if I'm having two slices of pizza tonight at dinner, I'm going to have my salad at lunch and not put the cheese on it. And at breakfast, I'm going to have more egg whites um, with veggies. I'm going to have like a veggie egg white scramble versus like my oatmeal bake. And I enjoy my oatmeal bake and I bite, 
can't even talk. I enjoy my oatmeal bake and I enjoy cheese on my salad. And I have those things on the regular. But on those days where I'm having these higher calorie foods, I need to tweak some of those things. And I don't always want to. And so I don't want to have pizza every day. But I do want to have pizza or fries or donuts or cookies sometimes. And sometimes it's going to be up to you. For me, I have those things, you know, sometimes once a week, sometimes twice a week. It really just depends. But you can, and this is the great thing, you can fit them in how you want to. Some people like to have a little treat every single day. I have plenty of people I've worked with, both as one-on-one clients or in my group Fitter After 40 coaching, who really like to have some kind of like treat every single night. And they make that work into their day. Other people like to have a bigger treat once a week. That can work as well. You can utilize techniques like calorie cycling to help that you so that you have room for these days where you want to have bigger amounts of this kind of um, less nutrient dense, more higher calorie foods. If you're not sure what calorie cycling is, I have an entire episode on that. I'll link it below, but really quickly, it's just what it sounds like. Some days you have higher calories and some days you have lower calories. All of the days are deficit days. It's not like you're going to maintenance, but some days you're in a steeper deficit and some days you're in um, a more moderate deficit. And the days that are in the steeper deficit are leaving room for extra calories on your higher calorie days so that you have room in in an easier way for the pizza, the donut, the cookies, the fries. So absolutely, you can lose weight and eat all of those delicious things. My suggestion to you is that you keep those types of food, the types of food that don't have a ton of nutrients in them, that do have, they're more hyper palatable, hyper palatable. So the chips, the fries, um, the donuts, the cookies, the pizza, all of those things, have that be a smaller portion of your total calories. So if you're thinking about over the day or over the week, really sticking to 10 to 20% of your food coming from those types of food and 80 to 90% of your food coming from minimally processed, nutrient-dense foods, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, um, lean protein. And that's how you fit those things in and still lose weight. All right, I think I'm going to cut it there with questions for today. Thanks so much for submitting your questions. I will do an episode like this again soon. So look for that on my Instagram stories and be ready to submit your question. And we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I hope you found it motivational, inspirational, educational, all organizational. If you did find value in this episode today, it would mean a great deal to me if you would leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you are listening to this episode on. It really does help to get this podcast in front of other people. Thanks so much for being here.